Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths worldwide. Among all the subtypes of lung cancer, small cell lung cancer is the most aggressive and carries the poorest prognosis due to its highly proliferative nature and metastatic potential. Standard treatments for small cell lung cancer have not significantly changed in decades, and a deeper understanding of the cellular mechanisms behind small cell lung cancer progression, recurrence, and resistance is an intense area of current cancer research. Today, our patient has small cell lung cancer, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Small But Mighty, An Internist's Approach to Small Cell Lung Cancer. Time for a minute physiology. The different types of lung cancers are described by histology and can be broadly divided into non-small cell, which comprises 85% of lung cancers, and small cell lung cancer, which comprises 15% of all lung cancers. Please listen to our prior episode entitled Small and Non-Small Cells for an approach to the classification of lung cancer. Small cell lung cancer is a form of neuroendocrine tumor, or NET. NETs are unique malignant growths best known for their ability to secrete bioactive peptides. NETs can arise in many different organs of the body, including the GI system and lung. Grading of neuroendocrine neoplasms is based on the WHO classification system, which considers two separate features, mitotic count and KI67, which are markers of cell proliferation and differentiation, which refer to how closely the neoplastic cells resemble their non-neoplastic counterparts. Small cell lung cancer is best defined as a form of poorly differentiated neuroendocrine tumor with high markers of cell proliferation. On light microscopy, small cell lung cancer is defined as a tumor with crush artifact with elongation, clumping, and diffusion of chromatin material. Often, cells are of small size and scant cytoplasm. The pathology results usually yield positive chromogranin, synaptophysin, CD56, and TTF1. Staging for small cell lung cancer is classified with conventional TNM staging, which is a globally recognized standard for classifying the anatomical extent of spread of a malignant tumor. For more practical purposes, small cell lung cancer staging is also defined by the Veterans Administration Lung Cancer Study Group Staging System, where there are two main groups, limited and extensive disease. Limited disease is limited to a single hemithorax with nodes that can be included in a single radiotherapy port. Extensive disease refers to tumors with distant metastases or malignant pericardial or pleural fusions. Small cell lung cancer grows rapidly and is frequently not associated with initial symptoms. At the time of diagnosis, it is usually quite advanced, and overall prognosis is generally poor, with estimated 5- and 10-year survival rates of 3.5 and 1.8% respectively. Carcinogenesis in small cell lung cancer can occur in several different ways. Smoking history is present in 95% of cases, with direct DNA damage occurring due to tobacco and cigarette substrate exposure. There are also some commonly cited mutations which are beyond the scope of this episode.
All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. The history and physical examination should be directed at complications from primary tumor progression and local regional invasion, metastases, and perineoplastic syndromes. General symptoms include cough, hemoptysis, breathlessness, pain, and constitutional symptoms, such as fatigue, weight loss, and anorexia. Nearly 60% of patients with small cell lung cancer present initially with metastatic disease. The general appearance of the patient may include cachexia, cyanosis, and pallor suggestive of anemia of chronic disease. Many metastatic sites are possible, with the most common being brain, bone, liver, and the adrenal glands. The respiratory examination may reveal digital clubbing, unilateral wheeze, or decreased breast sounds, suggestive of a malignant pleural fusion. Hepatomegaly may be present, suggestive of liver metastasis. Neuromuscular examination may reveal proximal muscle weakness, abnormal gait, and autonomic dysfunction, suggestive of Lambert-Eaton syndrome. Focal neurological signs, seizures, or personality changes may suggest brain metastasis. There are important perineoplastic syndromes to note which sometimes can occur months prior to when the diagnosis of small cell lung cancer is made. These include syndrome of inappropriate diuretic hormone, or SIADH, which may present as weakness and hypoosmolar euvolemic hyponatremia, Cushing syndrome due to the production of ectopic corticotropin, or ACTH, resulting in elevated free cortisol levels, and Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome, which occurs when there is generation of antibodies against voltage-gated calcium channels on presynaptic nerve terminals of the neuromuscular junction, thus leading to decreased acetylcholine-mediated transmission. Workup for a suspected lung malignancy includes a chest X-ray or CT scan to identify any mass or pleural effusion amenable to either biopsy or diagnostic thoracentesis, which would help clinch the diagnosis. Biopsies are often conducted via CT-guided percutaneous or transbronchial approach by bronchoscopy. Once samples are obtained, they will then be sent to the pathology lab for review. Once the diagnosis has been established, staging is required. Staging includes a CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis with IV contrast in addition to an MRI brain. If the staging suggests localized disease, often a full-body PET CT is performed to rule out distant metastases. If very early stage disease is suspected, patients might have thoracic lymph node sampling done by EBUS to pathologically stage the nodal disease, which then informs surgical candidacy. Now that we've laid the groundwork on the clinical approach to small cell lung cancer, let's talk about our treatment. In select patients with localized disease, surgery may be considered. Otherwise, small cell lung cancer is known to be both chemotherapy and radiotherapy sensitive with markedly high response rates. Within six to 12 months, small cell lung cancer is characterized by rapid relapse and after recurrence, it becomes more refractory to established treatment regimens. Treatment is always considered in the context of the patient's performance status and medical comorbidities. Those with poor performance status and multiple comorbidities that may render them more frail may only tolerate partial or no treatment at all, and you can thus expect these patients to have worse prognoses. 
For a limited stage small cell lung cancer, cisplatin plus atopicide is the current standard regimen used in combination with radiotherapy. Cisplatin is a platinum-based cytotoxic chemotherapy, and etoposide is a topoisomerized inhibitor. Although response rates are favorable with concurrent chemoradiotherapy, long-term survival is significantly less common. For those with extensive stage disease, treatment pivots to a palliative approach, with less than 5% of patients surviving more than two years. Platinum-containing chemotherapy is the cornerstone of treatment and the optimal duration is four to six cycles, with prolonged administration of chemotherapy not showing any additional survival benefit. While cisplatin remains the standard of care in limited-stage small-cell lung cancer, both carboplatin and cisplatin are appropriate platinum-based chemotherapy options in extensive-stage small-cell lung cancer. Notably, brain metastases are a frequent site of first relapse for small-cell lung cancer, associated with significant cognitive decline and poorer quality of life. Prophylactic cranial radiation offers reduction in incidence of brain metastases with notable toxicity to neurocognitive function. Historically, the toxicities of prophylactic cranial radiation were justified during an era of studies where modern surveillance MRIs were not available. The survival advantage that prophylactic cranial radiation offers has recently been challenged, and in cases where prophylactic cranial radiation is omitted, patients should be monitored with routine MRI imaging. Studies have shown avoidance of the hippocampus during prophylactic cranial radiation better preserves neurocognitive function, while observing no difference between treatment arms and intracranial relapse and overall survival. There are several common and serious chemotherapy-related side effects to be aware of. These include hypersensitivity reactions, febrile neutropenia, and renal toxicity. Best supportive care is a critical component of management and includes managing common complications such as recurrent pleural effusions, cancer-related pain, and perineoplastic syndromes. Other specialists should be involved in your patient's ongoing care, including palliative care, radiation oncology, and occasionally respirology. Time for a Medicine Minute. Across decades of clinical trials, there has been very little improvement in survival outcomes for small cell lung cancer with new therapies. The most recent study to demonstrate survival benefit among patients with small cell lung cancer included trials that have assessed immune checkpoint inhibitors, such as Dervalumab. Dervalumab is an immune checkpoint inhibitor which targets the PD1, PDL1 ligand system. PD1 is a protein that keeps the immune response under control. You can think of it like the immune system's breaks. PDL1 inhibitor drugs like dervalumab block binding to PD1 receptors. The goal of these drugs is to release the immune system's breaks and allow immune cells to kill cancer cells. The Caspian trial was a randomized phase 3 trial enrolling patients with extensive stage small cell lung cancer, including those with or without brain metastasis. Approximately 500 patients were randomized to one of the following options with the chemotherapy of choice being carboplatin plus etoposide, chemotherapy alone, chemotherapy plus dervalumab, and lastly, chemotherapy plus dervalumab plus another type of immune therapy known as CTLA-4 inhibitor tremolimumab. The results were promising, showing a near 30% improvement in survival compared to the usual control group. 
The median overall survival was 12.9 versus 10.5 months, and most importantly, the three-year survival was 17.6% versus 5.8%. Based on these results, three times more patients were estimated to be alive at three years when treated with Dervalumab plus chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone, firmly establishing chemotherapy plus Dervalumab as the standard of care. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Small But Mighty, an Internist's Approach to Small Cell Lung Cancer. This episode was written by Dr. Craig Rodriguez, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Susanna Chung, medical oncologist, and Dr. Ignacio Ladelfa, internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Alison Lai. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and executively produced by Alison Lai, Leah Karinopoulos, and Zara Morali. Theme song by Lakshman Vizantha Mohan. As always, we have an associated infographic on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you again soon.